Welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your host, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. I'm delighted to be joined by Jorge Martí. He's the Secretariat of Hensa Venezuela. Welcome to our program, Jorge. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you again. Thank you. Now, there is a new Alliance for Security. Can we talk about this alliance being called the Quad, the Asian NATO? Well, in reality, this is, this is a coalition of uh, friends of U.S. imperialism, the, the countries that are part of it. Uh, Japan, Australia, India, and, and the United States. So basically what, what this is about is, is about two different things. One is uh, advancing the interest, defending the, the interests of U.S. imperialism in, in the region of Asia, particularly East Asia, but also, uh, and they have said this openly, about facing up to Chinese power in the, in the region, so, so this is basically what, uh, what this is about. This group was active about 10 years ago, then it kind of, uh, it kind of disbanded. Uh, but now this year, uh, earlier this year, it was, it was, there was another summit and, and, they, uh, and they revived this under the ages of President Biden. And the aim is quite clearly to, to face up to, to China. So th- this is basically part of the general strategy started by Trump or even before that but that Biden has continued in his, his foreign policy, which represents a pivot to Asia on the part of the United States. This is now the main area of uh, worry internationally, and they want to strengthen their alliances in this, in this region. Now, the latest meeting was in September 24th when um, you know, the four countries, the United States, India, Japan, and Australia uh, got together. Can we talk about what does India get out of all this? This, this is not a new thing. India has, has been an ally of the United States now for some time. This was not always the case. During the Cold War, India tended to ally itself more with Russia. But also at that time, if we remember, China was more allied with, with the interests of the United States by virtue of being in opposition to the Soviet Union. Uh, but now these alliances have changed, and another country, which is very important in all of this, which is Pakistan, which always used to be under the, the, the direct control or domination of the United States, is now pivoting more towards uh, China. And uh, we know that China and India have a, a, a border conflict, which has led to armed clashes in, in recent times. So as long as uh, Pakistan is, is on the other side, uh, India will be on the side of the United States. The, the rivalry between India and, and uh, Pakistan is very strong, and uh, these countries will always find themselves in opposite sides of the geopolitical playing field. So I think that this is also related partly to what's happened in, in Afghanistan. As we know, finally, after 20 years of uh, military occupation, the United States was forced to, to leave uh, and this uh, withdrawal from, from Afghanistan was uh, a major military defeat and a diplomatic uh, failure from an international point of view. And obviously, China has benefited from, 
from that. China is in direct talks with the Taliban government, recognize them, they have had some meetings, and they are, they are interested in mineral resources in Afghanistan, but mainly about trade routes through Afghanistan, through, through Pakistan. Um, there is, an, there is a, a long, long-standing series of projects between China and Pakistan. So this obviously leaves um, India a bit fearful and surrounded by countries that are in the orbit of China, so they they are interested in strengthening their alliance with with the United States. And uh, you might think that this is a bit uh, contradictory. There's a contradiction there because Modi, the current ruler of India, is is a politician in the ilk of uh, Trump or Bolsonaro. And you you wouldn't necessarily think that uh, Biden, who's supposed to be a liberal, will, will be very keen to ally himself with Modi, but that doesn't really matter. Even though this uh, Quad Countries Summit talks about democracy and the rule of law and so on, it's basically composed of a whole series of countries where, which, which have oppressive regimes, like including, including Modi, who is, who is a, a far-right demagogue, is implementing really reactionary policies. So in reality, that just uh, works. The reality is that this is an alliance to contain China and the power of Chinese imperialism in, in the region. Uh, but the reality is the United States has seven to 800 military bases spread worldwide, you know, whereas Russia has only has about 10 and China has one base in Djibouti, Djibouti. Right? Yeah, in yeah. Africa. So the fact that we are just exiting one area in Afghanistan where, you know, thousands of lives have been lost, you know, in in the pursuit of colonizing an era that has been known as the, you know, the, the what do you call it, the cemetery of empires, you know, everybody who's tried to colonize Afghanistan has, has to leave. So how do we, you know, read this episode? Because on one hand, as you point out, it's a disastrous uh, defeat for the U.S., you know, the latest empire. In, in reality, some, some people have speculated whether, um, whether the United States leaving Afghanistan was part of a, of a grand plan or strategy, but in reality it's not. <laughs> it's, it's a complete defeat. Uh, U.S. Uh, imperialism, the most powerful imperialist power on, on earth and, and its military might is second to none. But nevertheless, as you say, Afghanistan is, is a tough is a tough nut to to crack, and it's been. Uh, uh, I mean, the, the British tried three different times in the 19th century to occupy Afghanistan, and they failed. And then, uh, obviously, there was the, the long time, the, the long period of uh, of the Soviet Union when when they they were uh, involved in in Afghanistan. This has been a defeat. What they wanted to do was to establish a government, a stable government, which they, they can do business with. And, and a government that is compliant with U.S. imperialism, and this proved to be completely impossible. Uh, the, the Afghan people don't want foreign intervention, and by the end of the whole uh, operation, they couldn't see much difference between the Taliban, which is a murderous reactionary organization, and uh, NATO, which is a murderous reactionary organization, you, you know, uh, I mean, who imposed their, their power through uh, drone bombing, aerial bombardment, killing innocent people in, in weddings, in their homes, and so on. In fact, uh, as we know, 
the, the, the last act of the U.S. occupation of Afghanistan was, was the killing of 10 people, a whole family, including children, women and, and men, uh, in an the indiscriminate aerial bombardment in, in Kabul itself, in the capital. So, no, that, that's a clearly a military defeat. But we need to understand what's the origins of this conflict between the United States and, and China. For now 40 years, China moved from a centrally planned economy, from a Stalinist uh, regime, towards a capitalist uh, regime. And uh, in this process, China managed uh, to in, in industrialize the country. Millions, tens of millions, probably hundreds of millions of peasants moved from the countryside to the cities, started working as cheap labor, these massive factories producing cheap commod commo commodities and consumer goods for the West. And in the process, they also acquired te the technology of, of the foreign multinational companies that were investing there. So when the, um, the Chinese state invested in, in science and technological development and, and a whole number of uh, areas, they're now ahead of the West, ahead of U.S. imperialism in things like supercomputers, artificial intelligence, and a whole number of other things. Uh, this, is, this is a growing imperialist power which has invested in a whole number of areas in the world, in uh, Latin America, in Africa, in Asia. And they are interested in securing trade routes and source markets and sources of raw materials for their products. China is aware of the role they play in the world uh, arena. This is not a, a dominant imperialist power, but it's a, a growing imperialist power. And so they don't use military means so far. So far. They don't have military bases in, in Africa, but they have investments and, and these countries become indebted and they uh, sell their natural resources, uh, oil, copper, zinc, other, other minerals that the Chinese are interested in. So far, it's not military, but there is one area in which the Chinese are building up, which is the, the near abroad, the, the, the South China Sea, whole series of islands, uh, the conflict with Taiwan. And in here, they... The, the Chinese regime cannot be seen as making any concession. They have to secure the, the, the borders. And uh, the United States uh, is afraid of this growing imperialist power, which is um, competing with the United States in many countries. For instance, there's a conflict in, in Australia and New Zealand, uh, whose economies up until very recently were becoming very, very closely related to the, the economies of China. Uh, China's importing coal from uh, Australia, uh, other products. And, uh, and this is one of the reasons for the revival of this Quad group, that uh, Australia was getting too close to China. So now this has changed. And, and this is related to another agreement. There's an Australia-UK-US agreement by which the US is going to supply mili uh, nuclear submarine technology to, to uh uh, Australia and the Europeans are not very happy with that because previously this, this technology was going to France. So the, the United States has taken serious measures to, to bring Australia into their orbit again, which, which was not uh, a given in, in the previous period. The same, the same is happening with Vietnam. Vietnam is a, is a country that uh, China is courting very heavily. Uh, same, same is happening in, in Myanmar. The, the recent conflict in Myanmar has partly to do with a conflict between the United States and, and China. And, and in every single, in Sri Lanka, the same, in every single one of these countries, there is a, is a conflict, which is not an armed military conflict so far, uh, 
is mostly a conflict of um, uh, diplomacy, economy, investment, and trade. But it's a conflict that has uh, the, the potential or the danger to become something something more. And it's basically, this is what it is. It's a conflict between an imperialist power like the United States, which is in its period of decay with an economy that's not dynamic, that is not growing, uh, with a position in the world that is diminishing because it's not only Afghanistan, but the, 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 the position of U.S. imperialism in the Middle East has also been weakened. Uh, in the past, it would have been unthinkable that uh, that the Syrian war has been resolved without the participation of the United States. Uh, it's been resolved mainly by Turkey, Saudi Arabia, and, and Russia. And the United States have no say in that. Uh, this was unthinkable in, in the past. And a number of allies of the United States have been watching these events. And they say, well, if the United States is not prepared or not capable to defend a friendly regime, in uh, Afghanistan, for instance, then it might not be worth being a friendly regime of the United States anymore. So the United States needs to uh, project military power again uh, to reassure its uh, allies or, or subordinate uh, countries in different regions of the world that, that, that they are still there, that they are still powerful. But uh, And this is part of this uh, conflict with China to, to prove that they are still a powerful military imperialist uh, power, but they, they are one that is in decline. On the other hand, we see China, which is a growing uh, military power, more dynamic with a growing economy, one that is now entering into difficulties as well. But, it, but it's a more dynamic uh, power. It has been a, a, an imperialist power for, for, more, for, for less time. It has uh, growing links with a whole number of countries. Uh, Chinese um, products and companies have also very strong links with Europe, with uh, Germany, Spain, Italy, Portugal, Greece. They have invested in harbors, in railway lines, and so on. So at one point, they were even investing in uh, nuclear power plants in, in the UK. Uh, and this is basically the conflict between these two countries. The problem with this is that this conflict, which is now not yet an open military conflict, threatens to escalate. There's been some, a lot of friction over Taiwan recently, and, and this is quite dangerous, I will say. You point quite rightly that not only this is about empire, but for us, I, I mean, we know the threats of nuclear war, and in 1973, the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty was created, you know, and it really resulted in two classes of countries, right? Ones who will be allowed to have technologies that could produce a bomb, <laughs> a bomb, great uranium or plutonium, and those who would be denied that technology. So now with this new submarine, uh, you know, nuclear submarines being provided to Australia, what's going to be the argument against Iran developing its own nuclear power? Yeah, precisely. Uh, I mean, the argument is only, is only this. Those who are friends of the United States can have military, uh, can have nuclear capabilities, uh, nuclear uh, military nuclear capabilities. Th those who are not are not allowed to. to. And uh, for a very long time, this has been a clear argument. I mean, if you if you think uh, I Iraq was deemed was accused of having uh, weapons of mass destruction, which it didn't have, and then it was obliterated and invaded and occupied for ten years, fifteen years. Uh, meanwhile, North Korea, which does have nuclear weapons, 
has not been invaded and has not been obliterated. So, so the message is clear. If you have nuclear weapons, this is a deterrent for imperialism to intervene. And this is also the reason why imperialism doesn't want anyone else to get nuclear weapons, because then, then they are not, uh, they're not subject to, to U.S. intimidation or bullying. This is, this is all what it, it amounts to. The nuclear non-proliferation treaty is just uh, it's just a farce. It's, it's not to, to to as you say to create two two types of countries, the ones that do have and the ones that don't have uh, nuclear weapons, uh, and uh, and it's just a question of strength. This is in reality the real content of international. What they say about international law and international the international community and a rules-based world and all of that it doesn't it it's just uh, hypocritical talk. It's all based on power, uh, military might, and, and power, and which which comes from economic power, and this is all, all, all that it that it matters. I mean, the United Nations itself is just an empty talking shop. The, the General Assembly of the United Nations meets every year, passes a resolution in favor of the Palestine, and passes a resolution against the blockade of Cuba uh, by by an, by massive majority, by overwhelming majority. Uh, there's only two, three, four, five countries that vote against or abstain. Uh, and nevertheless, everything continues the same. Um, whenever U.S. imperialism needs or things it can get a U.N. resolution about something they're interested, then that resolution is implemented. Like, for instance, we shouldn't, shouldn't forget the first Gulf War, the first invasion of Iraq in 91, was carried out under the flag of the United Nations or with a, with a, with a cover of, of a United Nations resolution. Uh, but when in 2003 they didn't get a United Nations resolution, they invaded Iraq all the same. So it doesn't really make a, a big difference. And, and international relations are based on, on force and military power. And as you say, the United States has 700 military bases across the world. Uh, and so therefore they are the, the dominant imperialist power. And they think and they try to dictate uh, policies to countries around the world. The, there was an arrest, um, you know, that was frowned upon even by the United Nations of, um, his name escapes me right now, who was arranging for uh, deliveries to, um, to, to Venezuela for, uh, you know. Alex Saab. Thank you, yes. So when, when the government um, can't even... You know, when we look at sanctions and we think of sanctions in terms of preventing, um, you know, dictatorships or governments to turn against their people, you know, that seems to be the all book playbook, right? That you turn the people mm-hmm. against its own government and so the governments will then do as the empire requires of them. What has been the lesson we have learned so far in? witnessing the resistance that not only have the Venezuelan people put against empire, but the ways they are constantly reinventing and reimagining themselves in the face of empire aggression. Yeah. I mean, the, the situation with, uh, with Alex Saab is completely scandalous. Uh, let me just say, I'm not, I'm not a friend of Alex Saab. He, he is a businessman, and he has uh, made a lot of money out of this food uh, importation schemes, which are extremely corrupt in, in Venezuela. But nevertheless, that's not the reason why he's been extradited to the United States. The reason he's been extradited by the, to the United States is because he broke 
this this policy of the United States of sanctioning and blockading Venezuela by by different means, uh, back back street routes, uh, making deals and moving money outside of the the control of the United States, so that this uh, food uh, could arrive in food supplies could arrive in in Venezuela. This is the reason. And so this is a complete scandal. And in fact, the, 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 the legal basis for his extradition to the United States is completely flawed. Uh, they, they went so far as to threaten the, the government of the country he was, he was in when he was arrested. They changed the government, everything, in order to get him. Uh, and this is just a punishment for his, for his actions in, in circumventing the, the, the U.S. Uh, embargo of, of Venezuela. This is completely scandalous. And incidentally, you you were saying at the beginning. I mean, this is this is Biden, the new new administration in the United States. This new administration in the United States has followed to the letter the policies of the Trump administration. For instance, in relation to Cuba, uh, Trump introduced for 2,043 new measures uh, to strengthen the blockade and embargo against Cuba, and Biden has not reversed a single one of them. Uh, the policy of uh, Trump was regime change in Venezuela, and the policy of Biden is regime change in Venezuela. The policy of Trump was against uh, China, uh, conflict with China, and the policy of uh, Biden is conflict with uh, with China. So there, there isn't any change. The, the policy, foreign policy of imperialism is bipartisan. Uh, it can be implemented by Republican governments, can be implemented by Democratic administrations. But it's basically the policy of defending the interest of U.S. imperialism across the, the world. For instance, the policy of sanctions against Venezuela, an executive order by Obama, signed by Obama. Obama introduced this policy of sanctions against Venezuela, which was then followed and incremented by Trump, and then has been followed by Biden. There's no, no difference. And what is clear to me is that however much they try, they can't never completely subjugate uh, uh, people. This is the example of Venezuela. This is the example of, of Cuba. Cuba has resisted this situation for over 60 years. And uh, yeah, some people say, okay, but, but Cuba had the support of the Soviet Union for a whole period of time. True. But then when the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, and this is uh, what now, uh, 30 years ago. Uh, so out of these 60 years, of U.S. blockade of uh, embargo of Cuba, 30, half of it has been with no help, with no foreign, no real foreign help at all. This is a small island in the Caribbean with, I don't know, 10, 12 million people against the most powerful imperialist country on, on Earth. And they haven't been able to, to crush uh, Cuba yet. So this is, this is a testing resistance of the people against imperialist, uh, imperialist meddling bullying and interference. So as we learn to relearn our history through the eyes of empire, as we unlearn the stories we've been told of, you know, friendly empires, what are key moments that we must remember or things that we must uh, be attuned to as citizens who are at the same time um, dismantling you know, this practice of empire to create a world that serves all human life? There's a number of different uh, things. First of all, as I commented before, U U.S. imperialism is very strong, but it's also, 
a an imperialist power which is in a period of decay and weakness. The, the U.S. imperialism was defeated in Vietnam in the 1960s. Uh, it was uh, defeated in Afghanistan. Now it no longer has the power that it had before, and the reason for this is twofold. One. Uh, from an economic point of view, capitalism is in crisis, and therefore it is also in crisis in the United States. And this limits the ability of U.S. imperialism to impose its uh, will around the world, because imperialism comes from, mili- from economic power. It's uh, expressed through military power, but it, it comes from economic power. Economic power is what allows them to build uh, warships and uh, fighter planes, and missile defense systems and invest in in the military industrial complex and so on. Second, the world is now a different place for the whole period of time after the collapse of the Soviet Union. It seemed like there was a unipolar world, as they as they said, where U.S. imperialism was uncontested. Uh, and there was a period of certain stability, no, not necessarily of improving conditions, but of certain stability. Now, this has come to an end. We live in a period of revolution. For the last 10 years, we've seen the Arab Spring, the overthrow of dictators that were aligned with the United States in Tunisia, in Egypt, in a whole series of other countries. We've seen massive uprisings in uh, recently in Chile, two years ago, in Ecuador, two years ago. This year, in, in Colombia, one of the countries more strongly aligned with U.S. imperialism in, in the continent, and there was a massive uh, general strike that lasted for two or three months. And there are movements like this, the election of a left-wing president in Peru and, and so on. So the power of United States imperialism is, is diminished. The other thing is that, uh, which I think is even more interesting, is that even in the United States itself, there's a growing body of opinion that's questioning the capitalist uh, system. We have seen a massive Black Lives Matter movement which is an indictment, not, not only of a racist society, but many people are questioning the capitalist system uh, as a whole, the role of the police, the role of the army, the National Guard, and so on. And this movement involved 26 million people who were participating in, in demonstrations at one point or another. There's a growing uh, opinion amongst particularly young people who think that socialism is uh, good and capitalism is bad. And this comes from their own experience. In the past, in the United States, say in the post-war upswing, capitalism represented or could sell the image of stability, growing economy, jobs for all, and so on. Now, now it's no longer the case. Uh, capitalism means joblessness or low-paid jobs, uh, economic crisis, home repossessions, and uh, massive student debts for anyone who dares go to university, plus at the same time a privatized uh, healthcare system, which uh, means death for many people because they can't pay for their, for their medical bills. So this is what capitalism represents. It's no surprise that more and more people are now against the capitalism in the United States. And this, at the same time, this also weakens U.S. imperialism. So I think that in general, we can be very optimistic. This is a time of great danger, not, not only from, from the point of view of military confrontation, but also from the point of view that capitalism is destroying the planet. But, uh, but at the same time, it's a period of great danger. It's also a period of great opportunity where there are mass movements uh, with, with, a, with, a, with a prominent role by the youth 
by uh, women, movements for civil rights, movements for reproductive rights, uh, movement of the youth against the whole system. And uh, it's a revolutionary period. We have an opportunity to, to put an end to this system and create a system which is completely possible today, a system of plenty, plenty for all, where the, the resources that we have, the capacity we have to produce goods and commodities is, is used rationally for the benefit of everyone, not, not for, the, for the private profit of a small parasitical minority. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for being with us today. For people who want to reach your work, how can they access your work? We have a website of the Hands Off Venezuela campaign, which is called handsoffvenezuela.org, uh, all in one word. Thank you again. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an independently produced syndicated radio program made available for free to campus and community radios and also to the world at latinwavesmedia.com. Please visit the website to hear previous shows, hear about upcoming events, and consider becoming a member for as little as $1 per month.